0: I want to talk to you today from this thought, my dad is, my dad is. When you uh, think about your dad, I want to begin by making you go down memory lane. How would you describe your dad? Think about that for a moment. If you had to describe your dad in five, six, eight, ten words, what would you say? Nice, kind, mean hard worker didn't work loving i mean what, what what how how would you describe your dad there are a lot of ways i could describe my dad and I could say, man, my dad was was there for me, showed up at my ball games, encouraged me to get an education. Even when I went off to play college football out of state, my dad would drive out of state to come watch me play and has always supported me and encouraged me. And one of the things that I, I appreciate about my dad is that he introduced our family to lots of good food. I mean, we... We ate up in the Cooper house, I'm going to tell you. We, we ate all kinds of exotic food. Now, this is going to be a little audience participation moment. I, I, I'm wondering how many of you have ever eaten squirrel before, throw up a hand. Anybody eat some squirrel? Yeah, yeah, we, we ate squirrel in my house. Yeah, that's right. How many of you ate rabbit before? Anybody ate some rabbit? All right. How, how about some goat? Anybody eaten goat before? Yes, Lord Jesus, come on, yeah. That's how we ate in the Cooper house. anybody ever ate deer before? any? some deer meat. Come on, deer jerky. All right, all right. How about some neck bones? Huh? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's how we ate when I was growing up. How about cow tongue? Come on, where you at? Why? I don't see no hands. How about cow? Yeah, we ate cow. Now one of my favorites growing up. My wife has never made this one, but I wouldn't mind eating it again. Some liver and onions. I mean, even some. Come on. Oh, uh, yeah, that's how I grew up. Grew up eating liver and onions. Now, now, now. Here's where the the, the Here here's where the audience is going to start dropping off. How many of you have eaten pig feet before? Come on. Now. Hey, well, somebody shouted right there. Hey, online, the Holy Spirit fell in this place. People are shouting over pig feet. How about pig ears? Anybody ever eating pig ears? Yeah. Yeah, that's how I grew up. Hey, now, now this is one thing I didn't like growing up. Anybody ever eating hog head cheese? I Yuck. I did not like that hog head cheese. That's nasty stuff. How, how, how about this? this? This was a big one. This was a delicacy in the Cooper family. How many of you ever eaten some chitlins before? <laughs> some of you call them chitterlings, but but we call them chitlins. Hot sauce. <laughs> we ate that. You know, in the Cooper house, we ate it from the rooter to the tutor. Anybody know what I'm saying, huh? Yeah, we ate it from the rooter to the tutor. That's, that's how... That's how I came up, and those are good memories, and I'm wondering how your kids will describe you. I wonder to our fathers with grown kids, our grandfathers in the place today, how do your kids describe you? How do your grandkids describe you? For some of you like myself uh, with young kids, one day when my kids are grown and out of my house, what will they say about me? How will they describe their dad? My dad is. And today what I want to talk to you about is three ways that when my kids are grown, three ways I hope they describe me. And three ways that I hope your kids describe you. Number one is this. I hope my kids describe me and say, he is a dad that seeks after Jesus. That seeks after Jesus. I want to take you to a story. You can turn your Bibles, your U version phones you have, to the portion of scripture in Mark chapter 5 and verse number 21. We're going to be unpacking this story today. This is about a father whose daughter was deathly sick. And I want you to see some of the attributes in his life. And no doubt his daughter could one day look back when she was grown and describe her dad. And one of the things she could say about her dad is he is a dad that seeks after Jesus. Notice this with me in Mark chapter 5 and verse 21. It says, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus, came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and lived. This little girl would describe her dad as a man who sought Jesus. And I want you to notice three things about Jairus and his pursuit of Jesus and for every dad in the house, for every man in the house, every father in the house that we could be described in the same way. And the the first thing I want you to see is that he sought Jesus unashamedly. You see, the Bible says Jairus was a synagogue ruler. He was a leader of the synagogue. He was responsible for the order of the synagogue service. And and his position as synagogue ruler made him one of the most prominent men in the congregation and even in the community. And even though that, that Jairus had prestige, even though he was popular, even though he was powerful in the community, in the congregation, he was not ashamed to seek after Jesus. And men, we learn a very valuable lesson from Jairus, and that is men, we never become too powerful or prominent that we don't need to seek after Jesus we should never allow positions or titles or prestige to stop us from seeking Jesus. We, we got to have some dads. We got to have some men who are unashamed to seek after Jesus. Paul says it like this in the book of Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Boy, I want that to be the rally cry of the men of this church. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of God the Father. I'm not ashamed of God the Son. I'm not ashamed of God the Holy Spirit. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the Bible. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jews, then for the Gentiles. And and men, it's so important that that we seek after Jesus unashamedly, that we never allow power or prestige or popularity or prominence to stop us in our pursuit of Jesus. Jairus was ruler of the synagogue. He was powerful, he was prominent, but he still sought after Jesus. There's a second thing that I, I want you to see about his pursuit of Jesus, and that is this, he sought Jesus humbly, humbly. The Bible says that there was a large crowd around, and Jairus walked through the crowd, got to Jesus, and the Bible says that he fell to the ground. He fell to his knees. Get, get the picture here. This leader of the church, this leader in the community. People know him in the crowd. People know this is Jairus. He's a ruler. He's, he's a leader. And they seek him. And Jairus, with humility, falls to his knees. He humbly seeks Jesus. And men, one of the things that a lot of us struggle with is is pride. One of the things that keeps so many men from seeking Jesus with humility is this feeling of I got to be tough. I got to be macho, I got to be cool. And don't get me wrong, we need to be men's men. Come on, it's all right to be a man's man. I'm not talking about being no wimp, but sometimes we think being cool, you know. I see people today, you know, I'm, I'm too cool for school. I'm cool. Cool. I'm the bomb.com. I got it. got it going on like Donkey Kong. I'm the man with a plan. Just talk to me. Yeah, I'm cool. And their cool factor is a form of pride and keeps them from seeking Jesus. With humility. For some men, it's this mantuism. I got to be, I got to be hard. I got to be tough. Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Mr. T. I pity the fool. I pity the fool. Got to be hard. Man, my man. I ain't got time to be falling on my knees to know Jesus. <laughs> no. No way. A father who Makes a huge impact upon his kids as a man who seeks Jesus with humility. And the Bible says this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 5. It says, young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. Submit to authorities, those in charge, those who are older than you. It says, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility let this be an attribute of a man of God of a follower of Jesus toward one another because notice this God opposes the proud God opposes those who puts up this air I've got to be too cool for school I got to be too macho I can I can I can't be humble before God I've got to put this air off God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, gives grace, gives favor to the humble, gives, gives blessings to the humble. Verse 6 says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Men, I just want to encourage us today that God is looking for humble men. He's looking for broken men. He's looking for yielded Men. He's looking for men who can be powerful, prominent, have prestige, but are humble enough to bow the knee to Jesus. And Jairus, he sought Jesus. Jairus, he sought him humbly, and he was not ashamed of seeking after Jesus. And there's a third thing that I want you to see, and that is he sought Jesus passionately, passionately in verse number 23 it says when he fell to the ground that he pleaded earnestly with jesus jairus pleaded earnestly he was calling out to jesus he wasn't concerned about the crowd jesus help me jesus heal my daughter jesus touch my daughter he pleaded earnestly to jesus and and one of my heart's desires is to pastor a church full of men who are passionate about jesus I had a friend of mine here last week who taught God's Word, Pastor Dino Rizzo from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and one of the things that Dino said about our church, and he, he said lots of, well, lots of wonderful things about our church. One, one of the things he said, he says, I can't believe how young this church is. You got a, you got a lot of young folks. You got, you got some folks sprinkled out there, but I can't believe how many young folks are coming. Amen. We're, we're coming after you. Amen. Amen. Come on, come on, you don't have to be over 50 to serve Jesus. Come on, we can get some teenagers and some kids and some, and some 20-somethings up in the house. Come on, come on, bacon. We, so so, we're, so that, 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 that blessed me, that encouraged me. But another thing that he said that really blessed me even more, he said this to me. He said, I can't believe how many men you got coming in this church. So I, I was surprised as I looked out how many men I saw coming to church, and that blessed me. Because I want to pastor a church full of scores, thousands of men who are passionate about Jesus. Ladies, I love you. So glad you're here. But I want to raise up some warriors. I want to raise up some men of God. I want to raise up some champions, some men that will stand up and lead their home and lead their family, leading the church and lead the community that will honor God. I want to raise up some passionate men that are passionate for Jesus and passionate about the Bible and passionate about integrity and holiness and living their life to please the Lord. I want some men that will rise up and be passionate about worship. Say God, I'll worship you. I give you my heart. I give you my everything. And, and sometimes for men, worship can be hard. Well, I don't know if I'm gonna really sing, you know. All right, I'll lift up. I'll lift up a finger, Jesus. You know my heart, Jesus. All right, Lord, I give you one hand. All right, Lord. All right. All right. Here's a, here's the a second one. But I want to see some men that say, Jesus, I don't care what the crowd thinks. I'm Jairus. I'm a leader. I'm a ruler. But I worship you. I need you. I earnestly seek you. I'm not afraid to bow my knee. I'm not afraid. I can be a man's man and still cry before my heavenly father and say, I need you, Lord. I worship you, Lord. You're the Lord of my life. I seek you wholeheartedly. I want to see some men like Jairus that are leaders, that are, that are prominent, that have prestige, but they're not afraid to be passionate. In their pursuit of Jesus. Jairus, he, he sought Jesus. And there's a, a second thing that I want you to see. As his little daughter grew up and, 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 and she could look back at her father's life, I believe this little daughter would say, he is a dad that, bring, that, that, brought, that brings Jesus into our home. He, he brought Jesus into our home and that we would be men, that we're dads that bring Jesus into our home as well. And I want you to see this here in the story in Mark chapter 5 and verse 38. It says, when they came to the home, talking about Jairus and Jesus, when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, I want you to notice that Jairus brought Jesus to his home. And you may be thinking to yourself, well, pastor, what's the big, what's the big deal? Well, you have to understand that in that day, in the religious community, Jesus had kind of a negative view, a negative connotation in the religious community. The, the matter of fact, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were saying things like this about Jesus. He's a friend of sinners. Why is he hanging out with sinners? He's a wine-bibber. Why, why, why is this Jesus hanging out with those people, with that crowd? You see, Jesus in the religious community wasn't all that, that popular. And and, and you have to understand that Jairus was a part of the religious community. He was a leader of the synagogue, a leader in the congregation. And I want you to see that even though it may not have been very popular, Jairus was not afraid to bring Jesus into his home. And men, we need to be dads and husbands and fathers that are not afraid to bring Jesus into our home. Not, not, Not just Jesus on Sunday at church. Not not just Jesus when we're at the community group, not not just Jesus when we're at the Bible study or on Wednesday night at the Bible study, but but some men that says, you know what, God, I want to bring you into my home. I want you in my home Monday through Sunday. Mo- I want you, uh, should I say, Saturday through Sunday. You put it however you want, Amen. But Jesus, I want you in my home. I want you Lord of our our home. I want you in my house. And and, and there's three ways to bring Jesus to your home that I want to talk to the men about today. Three ways to bring Jesus to our home. And the first way is this. We need to bring Jesus into our home by loving our wife. By by loving our wife. The Bible says it like this in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Me and I, I want you to catch this. The greatest gift that you give your children outside of your own relationship with Jesus Christ is loving your wife like Christ loved the church. You want to make a huge godly impact upon your kids, love your wife like Christ loves the church. Huge impact if you honor her and serve her. Christ gave his life for the church. He served the church. He died for the church. He loves the church unconditionally. And when a man would say, you know what, I'm bringing Jesus into my home. And the way that's going to show up is I'm going to love my wife like Christ loved the church. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to honor her. I'm going to respect her. I'm going to treat her with uh, like, like a queen. Like I remember my mama, when she told, uh, told me when, when I first got married to Tiffany, a matter of fact, Tiffany's grandma always reminds me of this every time I'm there. She said, I remember your mom said, Herbert, if you treat her like a queen, she'll treat you like a king. As a matter of fact, we were in Minnesota visiting her grandparents, and she said that to me. You remember your mama said, if you treat Tiffany like a queen, I'm treated her like a queen. Don't worry, grandma, don't worry. She's, she'll treat you like a king. The impact that has upon your kids to see. Matter of fact, some of you would say, but the greatest gift pastor gives to our church is preaching and teaching God's word every week. That's why I come to people's church. And can I tell you, that's not the greatest gift I give this church? The greatest gift that I give this church is a healthy family. Is loving my wife like Christ loved the church, is is raising godly kids, is is modeling a healthy family before you. Not 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 preaching 52 Sundays a year. That's not the greatest gift I give this. Church. It's one of the gifts, but loving my wife like Christ loves. The church, it's the greatest gift. You're talking about giving your kids security and stability. You're talking about being a role model, showing them what a healthy home looks like. Nothing better you could give to your kids is by bringing Jesus into your home, by loving your wife like Christ loved the church. Some of you are here and you say, well, pastor, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm divorced. I'm not, I'm not married. I, my, my, my kids are not with me. They're with, my, well, they're with their mom. Well, listen, you still treat her with respect and you honor her. I'm not saying it's going to be easy but you treat her with respect, you, you honor her. Now, you don't love her like Christ loved the church. That's called being a pimp. You don't want to do that, all right? So I, I just want to clear some things up in the house today because some, uh, some of y'all new to this thing called serving Jesus, all right? But, but you should honor her and you should respect her and when you one day get married, one day when you get remarried, love her like Christ loved the church. The greatest gift you give your children is loving your wife like Christ loves the church. I, I want to share a second, a second way that we bring Jesus into our home and we need to bring Jesus into our, our home by teaching our kids to love Jesus. Teaching our kids to love Jesus. And and, and a lot of men would say this. If I said, what's your number one responsibility as a man? Many men would say, my number one responsibility is to be a provider, is to put a roof over my kid's head and and clothes on their back and food in their stomach. And that is very important. I don't want to minimize that. I mean, that is one of our top jobs as, as a man, as a leader, as fathers, is to be providers for our kids. But can I tell you, men, that's not the number one job. Your number one responsibility as a father, as a man of God, is to make sure that you are teaching your kids to love Jesus with all of their heart because you can buy your kids Nikes and they don't spend eternity with their heavenly father. You can buy your kids designer clothes and they don't have a relationship with the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Your number one responsibility is to give your kids Jesus. And and, and can I say this to our men? I just want to encourage you today. We got to own this as men. Own it. Own it. I'm owning this. As a man, own this. Own this. You have to own it. Because if you don't own the fact that you have to give your kids Jesus, you'll shrug it off. And you'll delegate it. That's what the church is going to do. That's what some friends are going to do. But as men, we have to own this. We have to own it. It's our role as a father to give our kids Jesus. The Bible says it like this in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 4. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, instead, bring them up. Fathers, fathers, this is your responsibility. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Men, it's our responsibility. We have to own this to teach our kids to love God. It's wonderful to teach them to play t-ball or baseball or football or basketball or how to hunt or fish, but your number one thing you should teach them is how to love Jesus because they can make professional baseball player and don't have Jesus. You can teach them to be a CEO of a company, but they don't have Jesus. And the number one thing we we give them is to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And I just want to encourage, I just want maybe there's you're a little all, fo- all focused today as a godly father. I just want to refocus you today and say, listen, your number one job is give you a kiss, Jesus. T- teach them Jesus. Teach them how to love Jesus. And maybe you're hearing and you say, Pastor, man, I'm new, to, I'm new to church. I gave my heart to Christ a month or so ago. I'm going to get baptized this, this next Sunday. I'm new to following Jesus. I've only been serving God six months or a year, uh, two years. I don't get it, Pastor. I, I want to do that. How? How do I do that? Can I tell you, as the church of Jesus Christ, it's not our responsibility, What we're here to partner with you. You have to own it, but we are here to partner with you to help you to raise your kids in the fear of the Lord. And I want to encourage you, in this room, I, I can look around this room right now, and I see several godly men who love God, who have been serving God for years. Can I tell you, I would connect with some of these men. I'd get in a men's small group that's meeting on Wednesday night. I'd find a community group full of men who love God, that can help you, that can talk to you. I mean, I, I can tell you, I, I, we, we read the Bible to our kids. I, I pray every night for my kids before they go to bed. I live the life in front of my kids. I, I, I pray before every meal with our, with our kids. There are a lot of things that I do. But can I tell you, if you get around some godly men, some, uh, the Bible says iron sharpens iron. We want to help you. We, listen, you're not alone. You don't have to try to figure this out all by yourself. We want to partner with you and help you get plugged in so that we can help you to raise your kids in the fear of the Lord. Because one of the greatest things that you do is bring Jesus into your home by teaching your kids to love Jesus. The third thing is this, I I want you to see, I want you to see. You bring Jesus into your home by giving God control. Giving God control. Notice this in Mark chapter 5 and verse 38 through 40. It says, when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jairus, it says, Jesus saw a commotion. With people crying and wailing loudly, he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. Now get the picture. So people, this child he, he, he is actually dead, not not breathing, and the people are, are wigging out and freaking out. I mean, I could just see it. I mean, grandma's there and man, mother-in-law and father-in-law. and Oh, grandbaby's dead. Oh, uncles and aunts. Oh. They're crying and screaming, and Jesus walks in, and the Bible says, verse 40, but they laughed at him, and Jesus said to them, the Bible says this, after he put them all out, I like Jesus, get out! I don't care if you're the mother-in-law, get out! <laughs> Boy, Jesus a mess with some people, <laughs> uh, but they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples' who were with him, and went in where the child was. Now, you have to understand the story. This is Jairus' home. Jesus is in his home, but Jairus gives Jesus control. And Jesus stepped in and took control of the house. And when Jesus got control, he told some people to leave, and he told some people, you can stay. And man, can I tell you, one of the greatest things that we do as a man of God is to give Jesus control of our home. And when Jesus gets control, he tells some things to leave. He tells some things to stay. And even today, we're struggling with this whole authority issue with Jesus. And can I tell you, some of you men today, God's speaking to your heart, and He's saying to you, let me have control. And there's some things that have to leave. The attitude has has to go, the anger issue has to go, the unforgiveness that you're carrying around, it it has to to go. Maybe for some of you, it's what you're watching. What you're pumping into your mind, what you're allowing your kids to watch, what, you, what you're listening. Jesus may be saying to you that that has to go, that has to go. Because when Jesus gets control of the house, some things have to go, but then he says, Something stay, you stay, you can stay. I want you to come with me. Jesus says, Something has to say. Some of you, some things need to stay, but some of you need to add some things that need to stay. Maybe Jesus is saying to you, You, you need to start loving, you need to start being kind, you need to start spending more time with your spouse. You need to start spending more time with your kids. That, that needs to stay. You need, you need to start investing in your family. You need to start praying with your family. Some, some things need to stay. When Jesus gets control, he starts messing up everything. Some things can stay and some things have to go when Jesus gets control of the house. And what God desires is for every one of us men to be just like Joshua and declare in Joshua twenty four fifteen, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's a tension we all wrestle with is giving Jesus control. We have to invite Jesus into our home. There's a third thing I want to share with you today, a third point. We talked about seeking Jesus, that, 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 that we talked about bringing Jesus into our home. And, and the third thing that, that I, I believe this little girl could say about her daddy and that I want my kids to say about me is he's a dad that always believes God can do miracles in our family, can do miracles in our family. Mark chapter 5 and verse 23 says, and pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. You see, Jairus believed in in the face of opposition of impossible circumstances. He believed that Jesus could do miracles. I want you to see a little bit more about this story. In Mark 5 and verse 35, it says, while Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. They said, your daughter is dead. They said, why bother? Some of you are hearing that right now. Why bother? Marriage is not going to make it. Why bother? Your kids are not going to serve Jesus. Why bother? Your financial situation is not going to turn around. Why bother the teacher anymore? Jairus, just give up. Verse 36, ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. And it's very evident that he did believe because he proceeded in the face of opposition and discouraging news to take Jesus to his home. And one of the ways that I want my kids to describe me, I want Kel, my seven-year-old. I want Cade, my six-year-old. I want Karis, my four-year-old. I want my little bitty boy, Cade, Case, two-year-old. I want them to say about their daddy, he believed in miracles. He believed that God could do miracles in our family, in our home, in our church, in our city, in our world. Our daddy believed that God could do the impossible. And I realize in this room today, some of you, some of you right now, you're struggling. Why Why bother? I realize today that some of you are thinking, you know, pastor, it's, it's tough. I, I really don't know if the marriage is going to make it. Why, why bother? Pastor, you know me and my kids were just not close. We, we just, just there's a lot of tension and animosity with me and my kids. Why bother, Pastor? You know, man, as a dad, I made I made a lot of mistakes, and, and we all do. And you, you know, I, I hadn't been paying child support, and I hadn't been there for my kids like I, like I should. And why bother, Pastor? Things have been tough, and I don't know how I'm going to pay the light bill. I'm struggling to put food on the table, and I don't, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make the house payment, and we, we, might, we might lose the car. Why bother? Why bother? And, sir, you may feel discouraged. You may have your head down today. You may feel defeated today. But I want to remind you of the words of Jesus. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Come on, when somebody shout, just believe. Come on, somebody shout, just believe. I want you to know as a man of God I want you to know here today that you serve a God of miracles and he can step in the middle of your circumstance. He can step in the middle of your situation. He can step in the middle of your mistakes. He can step in the middle of your mess ups. He can step in the middle of your broken family. He can step in the middle of your divorce, divorce. He can step in the middle of your hurt and your pain. He can step in the middle of your loneliness. He can step in the middle of your desperation. He can step in the middle of your financial turmoil you're in. Just belief. We serve a miracle-working God. Look up to where your help comes from. Your help comes from the Lord.